Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Beastie Boys are so important to music because they never stopped evolving. They started as a hardcore band before putting down their instruments and becoming part of the golden age of hip-hop. After being one of the first and most successful acts on Def Jam, they split with the label and took creative control of their music and their image. They picked up their instruments again and built a new sound on a foundation of dense samples and parts of rock, hip-hop, jazz, funk, a little bit of humor, and some awesome videos. In episode 49 of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're taking a look at the career and music of the Beastie Boys, the way they combined rap and rock, their collaboration with Swiss filmmaker Nathaniel Hornblower, the female Beastie Boy in the early years, and more. Now, here's a little story that we got to tell about three bad brothers that you know so well. It started way back in history with Ad Rock, MCA, and number three, Mike D. Kick it! What's up, everyone? Welcome to Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 49. I'm Bruce Kramer, and I'm behind the mic and the keyboard with my man in Amsterdam, R. McSee, Ryan McCusker. Are you rocking? Prisoners of Rock and Roll is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, and we're sponsored by Boldfoot Socks and McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. Thanks for spending some time with us and talking about music. We'd love it if you follow us on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, and tell somebody about us. It's free, it doesn't cost anything, and it does us a solid. Man, today is actually our two-year anniversary of no the way. show. Wow. It seems like yesterday, doesn't it? It really does, man. It was like uh, hard to imagine. It was like two years and three months ago that we... Uh, yeah, we we jumped on a couple Zoom calls and we were like, "Hey, man, you seriously you seriously want to do this? Like, you know, the show all those all those times we'd go into, I'd stop by the bar and be like, "What are you listening to? What concerts have you seen?" And I remember you, I remember you sitting at the bar going like, "We should have like a radio show where we just talk about music <laughs> down here." And and my wife just going like, "Why don't you guys just do it? Just try it." 
Yeah, God bless that woman. She she I, sees good material when she hears it. You know, I think she wanted me to go talk about music with somebody else. She's like, this stuff. She's probably so sick about it. You probably sit there and talk about it, and she's just like, oh, she's had enough. She's definitely had enough. So, <laughs> like, we're on our 40th ninth show, dude. I know it's all good stuff, though, man. I I love doing the show. I know you do too. As do I. Yeah. You know, As do I. It's a ton of fun, and uh, this was again, man, another topic that I I learned a lot, man. I. I really enjoyed listening to the music and reading a lot about the Beastie Boys. I grew up with the Beastie Boys. I remember Fight for Your Right when it was on MTV. Like uh, it was like an overnight success. Uh, I just remember these three. You know, I don't know. I, I, they weren't like the Three Stooges. They weren't like the Marx Brothers. They were like three frat kids. You know. Yeah, I I saw an interview uh, quote that. Q-tip from Tribe called him the Bugs Bunny of hip hop. And I was like, uh, this just kind of makes sense, man. Like, you know, famous, little goofy. Um, I'm not I'm not the biggest Beastie Boys fan in the world, but I really enjoyed doing this episode. And the more I went back and listened to them and all the shit that they did, like use it, you say this a lot in the episode in this uh in the show about bands that use the studio as an instrument. Yeah. Yeah. The more they the shit they did, like with computers and loops and samples and stuff i really i really respect and appreciate them a lot more yeah i've always been a fan of them um ever since the beginning up to the ending i thought all their music was progressing into something different they never did the same thing twice i mean hardcore is hardcore and they you know i i respect them in the beginning for doing hardcore but i respect them in in the middle of their uh career they did another hardcore album you know I, I think they stuck to what's true to them. That's why it's sold. It was like for real for them, you know? I totally agree. Uh, like I said in the in the monologue, man, they never stopped evolving. They never stopped. They were never afraid to try new shit, too. Yeah, I, I think they were part of that generation of all the new electronics of like DJ equipment and recording wise. They were like groundbreaking. And, you know, what they did with it, with the... Uh, the overdubs and the looping and you know the sampling you know it, they used it as an instrument all that shit yeah it's hard to imagine now i mean if you're you listen to modern music to think that at some point that shit was all brand new and it was groundbreaking but you know somebody's always got to be the first right it's hard i mean i i listened to like license the ill too many times this week and i'm like oh my god this is like one of the most sampled albums ever some hip hop. I was. Re I read so much stuff this last two weeks. Some hip hop guy was like, "Man, we've got like fifty years worth of material out of these Beastie Boys albums. Like this, the stuff we can sample and everything else." I would. I didn't write it down who it was. It was uh, shit. It was somebody famous too that said it. Uh, man, I I wish I would have written it down. But it was just funny that you know, like, oh man, there's so many just uh grooves and loops and licks and shit we can sample on here. You know once again the universe opened and these three guys found each other you know it, it's uh they all grew up in new york city and they were all like these hardcore punk fans i know yeah, that they, and that, i think i know that they love the clash all together they love bad brains you know yeah and i think the way we said decided we're going to tackle this one is we're just going to kind of follow them chronologically you know sometimes mm -hmm. we jump all over the place or sometimes we've got an angle and shit we're going to talk about but um i think you you suggested we just attack it 
linearly. And I was like, yeah, man, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. There's a lot of cool like documentaries that are out there. I mean, you suggested that I watch the, uh, the, the movie, the Spike Jones movie. It's great. Um, it was cool. It was a yeah. little, you know, they're, they're a little full of themselves, but it's okay. I mean, shit, they're, they were at the top of their yeah, game. I think and- anybody, anybody that does like a spoken word kind of thing is kind of full of themselves. I think Henry Rollins is, you know? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. You know, nobody's bigger fan, Henry Rollins and Henry, you know? Yeah. It was a cool, um, it was a cool premise. It was just like, you know, the, the two surviving guys just, uh, standing in on a stage just kind of telling their story summarizing the book i guess the the beastie boys book and showing some clips and some other stuff and i watched another video too another documentary on youtube that it was up it sounded like some british people did that talked about their music and i i I read a ton of shit man it was uh i would read an article and the article would reference like oh here's an article from cream in 1987 that talked about and i went and looked that up i I went pretty pretty far down the rabbit hole oh Uh, wow i watched their the the MT or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. That yeah. was like Chuck D recited that little the beginning of Paul Revere, and I was like, oh, I'll do that in the monologue. <laughs> now I'm nowhere near as cool as Chuck D, but no, Chuck D is the man. But you mentioned um being influenced by the Clash, and these guys all like they met each other kind of like at concerts, and they were all like 16 and 17 years old when they met. Yeah, each they were other. young, you know. They were yeah, just man. uh each on their own were like they were a freak of their own. They're really in the hardcore. They're really into uh, this new thing called rap. You know, they were like these clash fans um, walking around doing freestyle on the streets of New York City. And that's how they, they started doing hip hop. Yeah, their initial like when they got started, they were, they were a hardcore band. They were like yeah. a punk, they were a punk band. And I, I read a, I put a quote down by a, a Def Jam executive who said, hip hop is punk music for black people. It's dangerous. It's rebellious. And it's just a natural evolution. And I love that. Cause we've, we've talked before about like, you know, hip hop and punk music and do rap groups deserve to be in the rock and roll hall of fame. And that it is kind of like an attitude and not necessarily the music. And it's, it's right, man. It, it, it's a lot of hip hop is subversive and, social change and a lot of shit that punk rock tried to accomplish you know especially in the 90s when the beastie boys came back you know uh from their hiatus they showed everybody that they were great musicians you know yeah like but we were talking about like you know that first album was i don't know if it was masterminded by the guys in def jam or if it was like mostly the beastie guys that made the sound, you know, I don't know. But uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, why don't we play a hardcore song by the beasties? Don't they have a self-titled song? Yeah, man. Uh, the beastie boys on off the same old, was it same old bullshit? Yeah. Is that was it's the album? All right. Yeah. Here you go. Check it out. This is a song called beastie Boys. So people that don't know this, this is what they sounded like, like in the beginning when they started.
man. So, so totally different. different. Yeah. I like it. I like hardcore music, you know, what is he smell? He's spelling out beastie. Yeah. And they said like, once they started the band that in hindsight, that beastie standard for boys entering anarchistic states toward inner excellence. That sounds like a bunch <laughs> of bullshit. That's like they, you know, somebody asked him, does beastie stand for something? And they went back and tried to make something up, but I don't you know. know. I like, I like that story. I like, uh, them standing for something especially i don't, I like to read between the lines and things man yeah i, I it, think you know i think they're smart dudes just because they played hardcore music doesn't mean they were uh not intellectuals you know i think they're very intelligent oh yeah i don't yeah i don't doubt that at all i just think they were kind of uh clowns you know they're they've always been kind of clowns and i don't say that to me mean dismissive no, but they, I focused, like they focused on being the three stooges sure they, they focused on being the Marx brothers. Yeah. You I know? read somewhere too, that they, they started kind of as like a silly joke and they tried to come up with like the dumbest name that they ever could, they could think of and some shit like that. Um, you know, one thing I also, I don't think a lot of people know about the Beastie boys is that they weren't always a three piece set. They were originally a four piece set. Yeah. They had some chick playing drums, right? Yeah. Uh, Kay Schellenbach, she's actually the drummer for the band Luscious Jackson. They were like a one-hit wonder in the nineties. Yeah, I remember them. That's all. They were Naked good. Eye. Yeah, they were cool. And she was she was in the band, so they were That's crazy. Yeah, so they they had a female drummer. And maybe we'll get to her a little bit a little bit later because she's got some pretty harsh opinions on kind of how oh, what yeah. happened when they when they kicked her out. But yeah. Yeah, when they yeah they started as a hardcore band and they were playing like CBGBs and with like Bad Brains and the Misfits and the Dead Kennedys. That's just pretty fucking rock and roll to or pretty punk rock to me. You know, they were they were there for the original hardcore scene. You know, in the early eighties. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff that we talked. We didn't talk about them in the punk episode. In the hindsight, yeah. we we should have. We could have. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of bands we could have talked about in the uh, the punk rock. Episode. That's true. That's true. For yeah. all the ground we covered, there was still a million ones that we didn't. Um, mm. But then like hip hop started rising yeah. up and became like an underground thing. And we did an episode on the golden age of hip hop where it started in New York and the Beastie Boys started listening to it. And they just were like, dude, this music is great. And they just started yeah. incorporating it into their sound, um, which is just really cool, man, that they were like, you know, like, oh, this is awesome. We, we want to try this. I think they were ballsy. Three white guys trying to uh, rap, you know, and I, I thought it was pretty ballsy that uh, Rick Rubin and uh, Def Jam, uh, Russell Simmons took a chance on them. Sure. You know, it's like, I wonder what they saw in them. Like, maybe they were like, oh, they're silly. We can promote them as like a goofy act, like, you know, something silly. But then like that album came out and it just crushed it. Yeah. So they putting some hip hop into their uh, into their music. I heard at some point like they would play half a set as they're like the hardcore band and they would go off the stage and they would come back and then they would do like hip hop for a while. You see some of that early footage of them doing hip hop. They're like reading off a piece of paper. Yes. Yes. And they're like so white. Yeah. Hey, I'm Mike D, and I'm here to say I'm like right. <laughs> yeah, right. And then they said like Run DMC hit, and Run DMC. They said they like they studied Run DMC, and they wanted to be like Run DMC. Yeah. But at least they acknowledge that. Like I put in my notes, like, well, that's way different than Zeppelin just like 
ripping shit off and saying that they wrote it right they were like no man we're 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 inspired by these these other artists we want to totally. be like these other artists they they weren't like your typical rap guys i mean i don't know because they were white and they were like totally had a different groove of what the clash was and the ramones and all this other stuff and they took the rock and roll aspects and put it with rap like you know like they're not in the rap section in the record store they're in the rock and roll section of the record store you know what man yeah maybe we should just talk about this too like the fact that they are three white jewish kids from from brooklyn like when um when eminem came up for the rock and roll hall of fame there was a lot of people saying okay cool but he's white and there's a lot of african-american rappers before him who need to get in right and they were kind of like it's you never hear this about the beastie boys and i don't remember everybody going like well what why are they considered the best they're white i never heard that I, I didn't either. And right. But you hear it with other like white artists, like other hip hop artists. Like, and I have a, I read something with uh, DMC from run DMC. He was like, dude, they were legit because they weren't white kids trying to be black. He's like, they weren't singing yeah. about gold chains and Cadillacs. They were rapping about like doing whippets. And he's like, and they were rapping about shit that white people do. Yeah. He's like, and they weren't, they weren't, <laughs> they weren't posers. They were like this, they were authentic and in, in this kind of music. Um Yeah. Let's play something off the license of ill, bro. Yeah, dude. How about like uh, rhyming and stealing? They like they stole like Zeppelin's drums. Oh, yeah, wonder, yeah, yeah, dude. I, I wonder yeah, if Zeppelin go. got paid for this here shit. You go. Yeah, I love that. I love the Zeppelin song. I read somewhere that they spent it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollars in licensing to get all the samples and shit that they put oh, on that God. album. Oh, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure there was a lot of sample from Dylan to Zeppelin. Sure, yeah, they were all over the place with that record. Yeah, I think they, they were doing something new, and they're like, oh, let's put Dylan in here. You know, or it's you know, it's. Uh, Let's throw a, a a little jazz thing in there. Sure. You know, maybe but, before we I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. But they were just more of a joke than they were a, an actual serious band. They were just like, they were always goofy. There was always that sense of humor around it. At, you know, at first they kind of like I never liked uh, comedy with music. And I think what made them so big with uh, like other bands was MTV. Sure. They were oh, perfect yeah. for MTV. They were like born to be on MTV. I think Russell Simmons saw that also. Yeah, we haven't talked about that much recently, but I feel like we went through a stretch where we were talking about the impact that MTV's had on so many friggin' artists. We talked about that shit a lot over the two years we've been doing the show. But like how um, many people knew about the Beastie Boys in 1987 because of the video? Of MTV. Sure. It was on yeah. all the time. It was on all the time. Yeah. You know, maybe... Maybe we we dove into License to Ill a little bit. Maybe we should back up a little bit, though, and kind okay. of uh, talk about the song that like they broke with. So like in 83, they they made that Cookie Puss song, which is hysterical. It's, it's like it's, the, 
it's like the jerky boys before the jerky boys yeah it's yeah so they made this it's like a hip-hop song of them calling carvel ice cream saying they want to talk to cookie puss and then it became like an underground hit in like the rap scene and like africa uh, bombada was like playing it at gigs and all this other yeah. kind of shit and there's like you can hear like that they would call radio stations and ask like yo play cookie puss and yeah. you know, the djs eventually figured out that that's who that yeah like that they were the ones that were calling but um yeah and that's what kind of where they they started to blow up it's just crazy yeah play cookie puss man all right here you go it's so funny yeah Yo, B. May I help you? Yes, what's your name? Hello? Hello, man, you got Cookie Puss's number? Here's my supervisor, he'll help you. <laughs> Yo, man, where's the supervisor at? I, I, I got the number anyway, baby. That bitch hang up on me. These pussy crumbs are making me itch. A cookie puss? Maybe I should scratch. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right off, right off, they're just like, we're, they took their sense of humor, what they thought was funny, and uh, shared it with everybody. And everybody was like, all about that. So there was a Mike, not, not Mike D. It was, uh, yeah, Mike D was on a TV show. Asking an African Babata if he knew about that song. Yes, yes, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. And he was just like, Oh yeah, I know about it. Yeah. I know about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was started up. They recorded that as it they started putting more and more hip hop on their songs. And they realized at some point that they need like a DJ for their live shows. And they find, you know, their buddy who is a college student in New York University, they called him DJ Double R, and that's Rick Rubin. Hmm. And Rick Rubin and the Beast Boys really just kind of came up together, you know, like at yeah. the same at the same time. We talked about Rick Rubin with the Johnny Cash episode and some other yeah. shit, you know. And at the same time, Rick Rubin is buddies with Russell Simmons in the same college, and they start Def Jam Records. And Rick Rubin offers to produce their uh, their first album. And you know, the Beastie Boys always looked at said they looked at themselves as like, hey man, we're just three friends that just happen to be in a band together. And Rick Rubin I, and Russell yeah. Simmons were like, no, man, we got like, we got a plan for you. Yeah, we got money to make. Yeah, they did. Uh, they, they, I think they marketed them right. You know, uh, it's a shame. You know, they, they had to kick their drummer out of the band. Uh, the chick from Lush Jackson, because she didn't fit in with their new Beastie Boy kind of, uh, I don't know, identity that they were going for. She said she went. She went away for a little while. When she came back, they were all wearing the matching Puma tracksuits that Rick Rubin bought. He's like, "But I only bought three of them. He didn't buy one for her." And then uh, he just said, "Well, I don't like the way women rap. You have to go." And I, she called him a meathead, sexist asshole. Yeah. Like, for pretty, pretty recently, like an, an interview in Spin. I think maybe after Adam Yalk died. Um, yeah, so they they kind of boot her out, and and in hindsight, those guys feel kind of bad about it, right? Because they were friends with her. And hey, man, it's show business, not show friends. I, I get it. Yeah, I, I I get it. You know, so they and they um, you know, I guess their early image. You said they were marketed correctly. They're really kind of like this overdone cartoon rap version of a hair metal group. And Rick Rubin was really into wrestling. Yeah, they're totally. Totally he would do those like interviews. wrestlers. He, yeah, he talked about them like 
he was doing that kind of sh- that, that shtick and everything. Yeah, that was know, pretty man. funny. He's like, I don't know. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. This is over your head. I'm out of here. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I they're kind of like punk meets hip hop. It was kind of a joke, but then it, was, it kind of it became was a big their... joke. It was a big joke. But, you know. The, the right people with the right time with the. You know, the, the right fans. Sure. At some point, like in the joke, like they become the joke. And we talked about this in other like, you know, Alice Cooper struggles with that gray area. When does the guys end and the character starts? And they kind of became these frat boy asshole. Yeah. Douchebags. They were like, let's become these characters and uh, we'll pretend that we are these people. And at the end of it, they they it took over their whole. uh personality they like they were these rappers like going yeah money that's what i'm like dope and they were like when they started it was just like a joke at first and it became they became their cliche and i think that's when they were like you know we're really selling ourselves short i think a big part of that too is they go on tour with madonna Madonna, madonna goes on her first like really really big tour like the stadium tour and I guess the story has always been that Madonna's people called Def Jam and they were like, yo, we want the fat boys to come open up, open for us. And Russell Simmons was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. But the the fat boys are they're busy. They're on tour. Def Jam never fucking managed the, the fat boys. He just yeah. said that. And he was like, uh, what about Run DMC? And uh, they won twenty thousand dollars a show. And she was like, they are Madonna's people are like uh, we're, we're not paying that. And you're like, OK, yeah. well, what about these guys? I got the Beastie Boys for. A much more, uh, yeah, we'll fit your budget. You want the Beastie Boys. Uh, dude, so funny. I don't think Madonna knew what she was getting. Yeah, and they said like they would they would open up and they would go <laughs> on stage like swearing. And then we're, we're out here to kick some ass. Right. And, and the then crowd, they get done. We're going to burn this motherfucker. Down. Right. And the crowd would boo them and they'd be yelling like, fuck you. And grabbing. They were all dicks, like little but, kids. Though. Right. They're they like 12 year olds. Like Madonna girl. Like, you know, like all the girls that were like. Wow, just material girl and all that other yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, they all wearing the little gloves and shit, and they're out there saying, We're gonna fuck shit up and we're out here to take names. And Madonna's management was like, they gotta go. They yeah. wanted to throw them off. And Madonna was like, absolutely fucking. She not. loved them. She, she loved was what like, they were doing. Well, she said also that she sounded great after everybody was booing them and throwing shit. Oh, at yeah, them she's not a great it, singer by no means. Yeah, I I can't stand Madonna, but I respected this, that she was like, absolutely she not. Took they these dudes? The show. Yeah, yeah they, she was like, no, they stay on the tour. They're hilarious. I I think people were showing up early just to see the Beastie Boys. They were crazy not to. But my friends saw them on their solo tour. I'm not sh- I'm not sure where it was, but he saw them on their solo tour. And that's when they had the dick in the box come out at the end. Yeah, that's a that's a couple years after this, but it's not that far. Right. It's like yeah. so they they tour with Madonna. Then they go on tour with Run DMC. And there's this one. Holy shit, man. Um, yeah, the, the Madonna tour gets a lot of uh, attention in the media because it had a big effect. But they go and they go on tour with Run DMC and they could play the Apollo in Harlem. <laughs> and and they they said everybody like Russell Simmons was backstage with him. He's like, dude, whatever you do, don't use the N word. Like, just don't do it. And they go out on stage and they said, like, what's up, all you niggers out there? Wave your hands in the air. And they said the whole place went like dead silent. 
And they kind of like, right, right, right. The whole place, like, and they looked at each other and they said they finished a song, they dropped their mics and they ran off the stage. They didn't even get in their limo. They like, they took a cab and got the hell out before everybody killed them. What were they thinking? I write like it, like, come on. Oh my God. It's like, I mean, later in life, they really stood for a lot of causes. It's crazy that they thought they could go in there and do something like that. Yeah. That's, but how, how you think Russell Simmons like said that and then, um, Rick Rubin being the wrestler kind of guy that he is. He's like, no, go out there and make them fucking boo you kind of shit. I maybe, man. I don't know. Yeah, man. So they go on tour with Run DMC and while they're out on the road, they had recorded License to Ill, but they said when they come off the road, Def Jam was like, hey, man, we mixed it all down. We're ready to go. Here's the album. And the Beastie Boys were kind of like, what? What? Wait, what? Like they had no input in it. And I guess Rick Rubin just kind of was like, oh, I'm going to produce this. And they were kind of pissed. Yeah. I mean, they they put the whole thing together and then Rick Rubin took it and uh, Rick yeah, Rubin mixed and, and mixed it all without them being around. It just shows you they didn't have any control over anything. Yeah. And that's not to say that Rick Rubin didn't do a fantastic job because it yeah, is it's great. It's a classic album. Right? It's one of the best selling hip hop albums of the 80s. It's and he made it in, and he made most of it in probably a, a small, small room. With a microphone. Def Jam was just getting started. It's the first hip hop album to ever go number one in the Billboard Top 200. It's now certified diamond. It's the best selling debut album in Def Jam history. But the Beastie Boys were also kind of broke after after it came out. But um, and that's yeah. more, you know, but um, we should probably play some more songs off of it. Yeah. Well, we, how about uh, Brass Monkey? Brass Monkey is great. Hang on. Brass Monkey, that funky monkey. Brass Monkey, chunky, that funkey monkey. Brass Monkey, that that's more than real. Drink Brass Monkey, here's how you feel. You put your leg down. Right leg. Oh, tilt your head back. Let's finish the car. Oh, see it with the bottle. That beginning, dude, like, even yeah. if you're not into hip hop, you know what that is. Oh, right? sure. That horn. Yeah. That beginning. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's, it's classic. It Maybe, you know, the other, uh, I mean, shit, there's so many songs off this album that were just, uh, you know, amazing. Every, every song on it is a classic. You know, it, it was great about the Beastie Boys. Like, you could have a Motley Crue album and be a Motley Crue fan, but you also can have this Beastie Boy album at the same time. Sure. You know, back yeah. Then, or, or you could have been like a headbanger, and you could get the Beastie Boy album and be like, you know, be okay with that. They were really, they were the band that brought um, like hip hop into the suburbs too. Something I was watching or yeah. reading, they were like, Run DMC brought it into the suburbs, but then the Beastie Boys picked it up and like brought it into your house or something. Like it, it, it brought it to all the white people and helped bring hip hop into. Uh, you know, suburbia and shit like that. Maybe because they were white guys. I, I don't know, man. This shit starts to get really complicated. You try to unravel all that kind of stuff. They just wrote fucking good music, man. I, you know, they were, they were threatening though. You know, like their whole attitude was like, you know, like, like anarchy, like the parties, we're going to party hard than the, the law lets us. Sure. You know, I think they sold that. They, you know, that, that they put that into, uh, 
like coffee, you know? Sure, he, sure. He turned it into Pepsi. I think the song too, like, uh, what's which one of the songs did Carrie King play on? Is it You Gotta Fight for Your Right or is it No Sleep Till Brooklyn? Don't, uh, I believe it's the Brooklyn, which is a great song. I want to get that right. Yeah, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yeah, so there's two other songs on that album, man, that we should probably just talk about. The first one is You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party. Sure. You know, and, you know one of the most recognizable songs from the 80s, hip hop kind of shit. Um, it's really, that's I, I read somewhere that's their only top 10 hit, that they only had one top that's 10 hard. hit ever. I, I really? Was like, man, is, that, is that true? I was like, Intergalactic I, wasn't like up there. Right. Sabotage and all that other kind of shit. Um, huh. Talk about a song that just, you know, MTV, man, just made them out of this song. Oh, here, I'll play but a little bit right. of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, here. Right from the beginning, man. Dude, again, like just listening to it with the headphones on. We say this every single episode, <laughs> but I was like, dude, I've never listened to this with headphones on. And I was like, man, the, the, uh, it's a monster. Yeah, dude. The, the guitar was bouncing back and forth from one the drum to the other. The, the drums drum, the and bass the bass drum. The cymbal starts when he's hit. I was like, dude, it oh, really, yeah, it's a completely different experience. I say we say this every week, but it's like pick something that you Pick an album or a song that you really love and get a semi-decent pair of headphones and just put it on and listen to it and you'll have a completely different experience. Really, really cool. I wish like Sony would pick us up as a sponsor so we could talk about their headphones and get paid. Yeah, man. Yeah, we're we're the biggest proponents of listen to shit on headphones. Don't listen to your crappy earbuds. Yeah, you know? totally. Get, get some over-the-ear stuff and just listen to it it's, and just experience it. But just listening to that song like took me back. Like it took me back, like sitting on my little living room floor, watching the video. You know, it was like playing like every 20 seconds on MTV, along with like Bon Jovi and, you know, Molly Crew and Poison. And in the middle of this hairband nation thing that's going on, and then the Beastie Boys came breaking through. And they're really making fun of it, too, right? Those the hairband. I think they were making fun of themselves. You know, they weren't making fun. Of, uh, do you think they were making fun of white people? To a degree, I think they're making fun of the hair metal, you know, rock dude. The party, the yeah. party anthems. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, this song, I don't think it started as a serious. Uh, I thought they, they this song started with them making fun of everybody. But then they be kind of the dudes they were making fun of. The bros loved yeah. it. Yeah. they That was to this day is still an anthem. Sure. You know, you go right, to some somewhere. There's a fraternity playing it right now, dude. It's on. It's on a rock channel. It's on Philadelphia WMMR all the time. Yeah, you know, it's a it's it's a classic rock and roll song. It, it's a it it crossed that barrier, man. It crossed the barrier from rock to rap. 
just as much as Steven Tyler did with Run DMC. Run DMC. Or, you know, yeah. But I guess that was the same time from what I remember. I think Run DMC and Aerosmith might have been a little ahead of it, like 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 weeks or months, not years, but like really close. You think um, like you think like they were like, oh, give us something white friendly and we'll kick the shit out of the numbers. Could be, man. I mean, shit, that could have been Rick Rubin's vision or uh, Russell Simmons vision. Like we need a white band. I think actually I remember reading that somewhere that maybe the Beastie Boys thought that that you know they they broke up and it was rather acrimonious like they thought that uh a couple of the guys on the beast well you know i guess we'll get to that in in a couple minutes but you know fuck it we'll just we'll get into it right now so they you know when they broke up the the beastie boys said that they kind of felt like they were the monkeys like they were three sure. like the beastie boy story they said russell simmons just wanted three white kids on his label to bring hip-hop into the suburbs and then knowing that that would be the you know you kick the door down and then other artists would come in behind them and sell everything and the media started presenting them as like rick rubin's puppets and they were just like a media creation and all this other kind of shit sure they were i mean i don't know how legit they were in the beginning of like writing rhymes maybe they had some help from like other like Def Jam, like you had probably LL Cool J sitting there. You probably had all these other dudes. They were probably wasted and they came up, but you're right to party. You know, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. And it definitely bothered them that it definitely bothered the Beastie Boys that they felt like they weren't in control and that anybody accused them of, you know, you guys are just the flunkies of this band and you're just self made and you're not real and you're not legit. And that clearly pissed them off. I mean, and they, at some point they grabbed control of their their brand and their image and their videos and their music and they never let it go no. and their career just just friggin takes off they tried they tried to make their second album you know the which everybody that's a beastie a real beastie fan will say paul's boutique is the real album yeah i mean um you know uh def jam wanted license ill part two and they're like, no, we, we're not going to do that. We want to do something different, you know? So they, they go into a, stu- a real studio and they put a lot of time into making Paul's Boutique. Like, you know, the sound of it is unreal. Like they, they, they like discovered like, oh, let's put, let's put a tambourine on here. Let's put this on there. Let's put that on there. So how many tracks do we have? Let's use all of them for a different weird thing, you know? Let's play something off that. Yeah, man. Let's shake your rump. Shake your rump. Here you go. totally flopped like you know i don't think even def jam got behind it a whole lot because it wasn't what they wanted they weren't on def jam when this came out i thought this was the second album that def jam had them do i don't think so man hang on like let's get this right like i'm thinking it's the second like their second album deal like they sold them for a two album deal and capital records so all right right on yeah so yeah, man. So when this came out, this was they weren't on Def Jam anymore. So they had gotten real pissed off. 
at some point, man, when they were still on Def Jam, Adam Yalk was like, dude, I'm out. You know, he was getting really into engineering and he wanted to be producing. Mm-hmm. And he went and told Russell Simmons, like, I, I'm going to quit, man. I'm yeah, I'm going to walk. And at some point, the the Beastie Boys all went their own separate ways and they were doing like movies and other kinds of shit and side projects. And Russell Simmons was like, you motherfuckers better get back in the movie in the studio and start recording this second album or I'm not paying you any more royalties. And uh, they said, like, you're in breach of contract. And Russell Simmons was like, dude, I'll just grab a collection of like unreleased tracks and all kinds of other like outtakes and crap and I'll put it out and call it an album. And at some point, the Capitol Records basically buys out the contract and shit like that. And then they uh, they go and that's where they do Paul's Boutique. And I think the biggest difference with Paul's Boutique and why it sounds so much different is that's where they start working with the Dust Brothers. Totally. And they probably have the higher quality of, of mics and equipment all around Capitol Records. I'm sure at that time was high tech as much as you can get. Sure. You know, um, and, the Dust, and the Dust Brothers were like, nerds they're like two computer nerds right and that, they they said to have those guys in the studio with the computer like the first guys they ever saw with a computer in the studio and this is like 1993 94 no no earlier no. than that dude probably 1990 89 paul's boutique well, came out so that's wow. like real real you know the computers yeah this, like the size of a room and all kinds of other shit, and they're messing around with it. It's a really, really cutting edge stuff. Yeah, um, it sounds cutting edge. The whole it album does. It, it sounds like shit that you would hear like in the like ninety six, ninety seven kind of, which I could totally understand when you just said mm-hmm. you know, early nineties because that's what it sounds like when all that technical like prodigy and all the other kind of that yeah, dance the, shit became real popular. It it sounds like that kind of beat. It's them. I mean, they were they were ahead of the curve. Yeah. And like you said before, man, that album did not, it just didn't do shit. It flopped. I think they really tried to be creative with it. They put a lot of their own instruments on there. Like, they, you know, they really experimented a whole lot. And everybody wanted License to Ill, too. And I think maybe Capital wanted License to Ill, too, also. But they're like, no, we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make this record. We're going to make it better than License to Ill. And then it came out and nobody got it. Like nobody like understood what they were trying for. I remember um, Hate Ladies came out. I remember that being like an okay hit, but it was nothing compared to what, you know, No Sleep Till Brooklyn was, or it, it just didn't click. Maybe the times have moved on and, you know, their, their whole comedy act got old and stale. Everybody was like, you know, you had like real rappers out that then. And then like it wasn't cool to be like a white rapper after Vanilla Ice. In hindsight, too, like this album, uh, now it's on the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums. You know, like history has been very kind to it. But at the time, you're right, it wasn't well received. And Vanilla Ice is a good point, too, because that came up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Like LL Cool J and Chuck D inducted him. And they were talking about how there were no Vanilla Ice and all these other kind of lame white rappers on the scene when the Beastie Boys started. Yeah, they were like... They were awesome. They were cool. They weren't like they weren't um, corny. You know, corny is a great is a great. Yeah, they yeah. were never. They, yeah, it's a they great had their, way to describe it. Yeah, they they had their own identity. They were bigger than rock and roll. They were bigger than rap. Yeah, they were just the fucking Beastie Boys. Yep. No, know, they were like in, in that fine line somewhere, and there they met. Sounds met, 
And, you know, Paul, if you never listen to Paul Boutique or our listeners, you know, go to Spotify, listen to it. That's a great album. And then a couple of years later, so they, you know, I guess the more they progress, they age, they decide the next album. They're like, why don't we, you know, we, we know how to play our instruments. Why don't we pick them up and, and do incorporate that into our music? Yeah. You know, and that's what like check your head comes out. And that really has a more like an edgy rock sound to it way more than everybody else. I think they said too, like at some point Capitol records was like told them that nobody really gives a shit about you guys anymore. And if you want to be famous, you, you kind of got to start over. Like you want to go on tour, you got to start playing. You're back to like really small clubs and you got to build yourself back up. And this album was, this is one of my favorite beastie boys albums. Yeah. It's one of my favorite ones too. I mean, I remember, so what you want came out and I remember thinking these guys aren't fucking around anymore. Like they're not joking around anymore. They're like, right. I was like, they're, they're, they're back serious. and they've, they done grown up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, let's play a little bit of that. That's a, it's a great song. Totally. I totally remember hearing that for the first time or seeing it on MTV, and I had never heard anything like that. Like this, it's, uh, it's totally true. Art, alternative music, like it's it's alternative music. Totally, like nothing was like it when it came out. Like even like tracks, different tracks on it. I, the microphone they use, it's it's so like before the whole grunge thing came in. Like, I don't know if they were like vibing off of what grunge was coming up and they were like oh shit if these guys can make like this punk rock music and like, why can't we do it at the same time we know how to play our instruments yeah so this came out in 92 right so you've already got like pearl jam and metallica and nirvana like those guys are all there already and then this comes in and it doesn't sound anything like any of that shit but you're right it is still alternative the, yeah um, i remember being on 120 minutes it, 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 I don't think it really had much airplay on MTV, but I think it became a cult classic more than anything. The video too, man, like that really, uh, the zoomed in lens, like down low, looking up at them and they're real yeah. close and everything like that yeah. kind of, it almost looked like a fisheye, like just the way it was, uh, it was zoomed in. It was like so many other hip hop videos borrowed off of that shit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah as they you know moving forward um they had some amazing directors for them for at the that that at their access yes and you know a lot of those videos too man were the the photography and the videos were adam yalk behind That's amazing yeah uh, yeah so his his swiss uncle nathaniel hornblower um, is that dude for real it's adam yalk it, it, oh, it is Adam. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Adam in a uh, a costume and he oh, would come out and, and pretend he would pretend to be his very. He had like the leader hosen. Yo, yeah. 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 With the red mustache. And yeah. And dude, that's so, him. Yeah. I'm getting a little head in the story. But in 94, the sabotage video. Yeah. They don't. Uh, Spike Jones is up for the video of the year, the video director of the year. And he yeah, loses yeah. To, to Ari, the fucking R.E.M. R.E.M. Really hurts. 
and Adam Yalk storms on the stage and, and starts just like bitching into the microphone. I and had Michael, no idea that was him. Yeah, I didn't put so, that together. Now it makes sense. And they were doing vi- like inter- he was doing all kinds of interviews. And he's all like kinds of he's like this super famous guy, and he jumps up on stage like that, and they like tear him away from it. If Jim Carrey did some shit like that, they would let him like go with it. It's awesome, dude. I'll put it on our social media once we uh, once the episode comes out because at some point, like Michael Stipe is just looking. He is like he's an asshole, and he was just he's such a fucking pompous asshole. And he looks ridiculous. He looks so 90s. He's in this like super triple XL sport like suit jacket, the floppy sleeves. And I hate that song. Everybody hurts. Oh, but it's oh, like oh, we used to make fun of the video because like, he hugged himself all through the video. Right. It's like, and how did that beat sabotage? But, you know, and, and Nathaniel Hornblower comes up and just storms the stage and starts yelling, this is terrible. Shit. I'm Spike Jones is a genius. I came up with all the ideas of Star Wars. Yeah. Just like, it's, like, it's, it's very um, Andy Kaufman. It's yeah. very Andy Kaufman. It's it's hilarious, man. And he popped up on a whole bunch of other. Uh, the, the Beastie Boys had like home video. Oh yeah, like, uh, he, the, he the, a- I fucking I fucking shot this video yeah. like Nathaniel by Nathaniel Hornblower and everything. I always so, wanted to see that. It's on YouTube. You can you can see it's it. just a bunch of kids with their cameras and filming it. Film, yeah. And they, they slide them all together. Yeah. And it's supposed to be him doing everything. <laughs> and it's 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 hilarious. He made a whole backstory for Nathaniel Hornblower that he I had no idea and all this other it, stuff. Dude. I had no idea. I didn't put it together. And I watched like the documentary like twice this week. That's funny. Now it makes, it, that's really funny, dude. And, like, and Adam Yalk was a really like renaissance kind of do you know i, I oh I, yeah that's so overplayed but it was like you know he was a dude really pushing them like production and he did all their photo shoots and he had to shit with their videos and he's the one that built that up that studio that they had out west yeah. there's like the movies they have a like a movie production company that is still around it still exists today after he died totally understand why they just shut the shit down after he passed away too and i yeah, i, I have the, he could have been the t- brains of it Right. And I have a ton of respect for him that they were like, we're done. Like, yeah. we're not picking it up. We're not going yeah. on as a twosome. We're not ZZ Top. We're not going to put the fucking hat on the mic stand. We're finished. I respect hell, the shit out of that. Who who the hell could replace him? I mean, there's nobody like his voice. I he has. I can't say he has my favorite voice in that band because they all have like their turns. But man, he has so raw aggression on his voice we talked a little bit about the sabotage video maybe we should just jump ahead two years and you know ill communication comes out and that's like their peak right i, th- I think this is their or the oh, yeah this is they take shit to another level and then they i don't think they ever um they never come down off of this you know the check your head was huge ill communication is just a whole nother level and then they're in this like whole nother stratosphere i think for the rest of their career Oh, yeah, there were legends after Sabotage came out. I was like, oh, yeah, the Beastie Boys. And here it's like 10 years later. And they put this fucking punk rock rap something together. One of the greatest songs ever written. I think I think it's Adam's that whole that whole bass part. Dude, it all started with that. Yeah, they said he he was like just fucking around and they walked in on him and they thought that was like for a song. They were like, that's what is that? They thought like the whole song was done. And he's like, no, man, this is all I got. I just got this piece. And then they built this whole thing around it. And even the lyrics were kind of like a 
they just threw it together. Like he went to uh they went to like a buddy's house and they were just screaming at him to like you sabotage everything that you you touch. And it was just kind of like a they wanted to just be like a demo, like we're gonna kind of feel it out, and it just kind of fell into place like this is it, this is the song. Adam was such a great musician. He uh, learned how to play the stand-up bass like overnight. He just, yes. up, it's like a whole other ball game than playing and, bass And guitar. they said, right. And they said like, as they got, they picked up their instruments again, they were kind of fumbling through it. And they're like, this motherfucker just like overnight learned how to do this. Uh, he was a true artist, man. And it's really cool watching them up. Uh, was it the MTV Awards or Saturday Night Live? But they were all in the suits playing oh, this live. I, the the and MTV just, thing. Yeah, and he's just shredding it on the bait. You know, oh, he's playing yeah. it like a guitar. It's really Rem- cool. Remember, it was MTV Music Awards. It was like Green Day, and then the um, stage rotated around, and the fucking Beastie Boys came out, and they did uh, Sabotage. Yeah, and just blows every. They just it blow just everybody away. Blows, it was one of the best moments of like that whole era of like of what MTV was. I mean, in the video for Sabotage, I think it's one of the best videos ever made. Totally. Like, you know, if you've never seen the footage of that video, you're totally missing out. Like, what what would you say they like they they make fun of in that? Like 70, like those 70s cop shows. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're they they got the cheesy mustaches and the big hair. I was like thinking that I was like, man, if I still got if I still got dressed up for Halloween, I would totally do that. That would be like 70s cop. Right. Like you, me and the warden all dressed up is is uh the cops from beastie boys it's hilarious and they make yeah. a little movie and they tell they tell a little story about it um they said it was they great did, they said they did that without a permit or anything they were like I they saw were that just too. running around with the camera and spike jones just like yeah just run around in a supermarket and run around you know i think a lot of their videos were fucking made like okay we're gonna put the video cameras on you and you guys are gonna do something you know, yeah, they were they yeah. had so much to them. They had so much character and they were great rappers, man. They were great rappers. The way they they flow back and forth between each other, like the handoff and it's like seamless. And I'm sure they edit that shit down and they get it tight and everything. But they just go in between from each other with no no break at all. And, you know, they got smarter with their lyrics they got more awareness of what they were saying instead of like girls make my bed girls and they were like holy shit we just disrespected the whole woman kind of on that for call them hoes and all this shit you know they really changed the way they thought about lyrics coming on their next coming album you know before all the their songs were like like that whole girl song you know, that was so degrading. And so like many times they say hose on that album. Right. It's so degrading. And then a couple of years later, they, they put root down. Was it Uh sure shot? Sure shot. Yeah. And uh, Adam Yates says something really amazing in, in the middle of the song. Yeah, dude, let's find it and let's play that. Yeah, 
man. So the lyric, I want to say a little something is long overdue. The disrespect to women has got to be through to all the mothers and the sisters and the wives and the friends. I want to offer my love and respect to the end. That's only a couple of years after they were like treating women like assholes. I think he, I think he felt like, you know, he started getting spiritual, like little by little and becoming a great person. He was like, holy shit, we just disrespected all these fucking women with that. And we didn't even know it. We didn't even know we were doing it. That's how dumb they were. There's something in that documentary, too, that they asked him, like, hey, man, like, aren't you a hypocrite? You're singing this. And he was like, well, I'd rather be a hypocrite than be stuck being an asshole or something like that. And they said the other the two surviving members were like, man, I'll never forget how introspective that is and shit. I was like, yeah, man, that's a good way to live your life. I'd rather be a hypocrite than be wrong about something and be stubborn about it and keep being that way. They just kind of grow up, man. They just they they totally. just, they they just evolved a little bit. Like at some point, man, they realized like, hey, man, we're, we're just being assholes and throwing beer all over the place and trashing hotel rooms. And we're just moving beyond that. Can we play one of my favorite songs? Yes, please. What do you want to hear? Let's play past the mic. Everybody rapping like it's a commercial. Acting like life is a big commercial. So this is what I got to say to you all. Be true to yourself and you will never fall. But now I like to pass the mic to the A. So what's your name? Yeah. My name is MCA. I've been coming to where I am from the get-go. Find it like a cool with the beat when I let go. So put your worries on much going on in that song I musically think i think that's their best song personally i live my life is be true to yourself and you will never fall like dude i've been following that my whole life it has never let me down i yeah dude i yeah i got nothing i agree yeah, i'm sorry i, I just no that, it's a great that lyric that lyric has meant a lot to me over my my life and i i swear to god i've always followed my heart and be true to yourself and you never fall like I try, I live my whole life to that. Sure. It's a good way to live your life. And it's true. It's true, man. You true yourself. You'll never fall. So I guess in the story, man, we're up to like 1994 and yeah, this is where they, I mean, they headlined Lollapalooza. They Which I heard as- was awesome. They said that they played before the Smashing Pumpkins and like right when the Beastie Boys got over, everybody left and smashed. They just, the they just, play- Nobody gave a shit about the pumpkins. They just blew everybody off the stage. You yeah. know, they're, uh, I've seen them. In, I've seen them. I, I never saw them. And Dude, I wish I would have. I saw them on an intergalactic tour. It was so fucking scary. I was on the floor and they were on the round. And you said this before. Yeah. And it was all frat kids and shit like that. And dude, I've. The worst fans in the world are the Beastie Boy fans, like of our of our generation. Beastie Boy fans, they're just the same assholes that fucking burnt uh, Woodstock '99 down. All the pros and the yeah. other shit. Yeah, hmm. they're at a completely another level by then. They go, you know, when they go on tour, they sell out Mass Square Garden like a half hour. Like they're just it's like amazing. I said before, man. They're just on a completely another level, and they never look back. And they just kind of ride. They unfortunately they ride it until. Uh, Adam Yalk dies. Yeah, but they're just on a whole nother level. Maybe it's a good spot to take a break. Cool, and we'll we'll come back. We'll kind of talk about the last couple of years of their career and uh, some other kind of shit. And you know, we'll do all the other kind of normal cool stuff that we've got: the electric chair, music news, and all that stuff. So 
We'll be back. Stick around. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. There's something for everyone on the beer list and the jukebox in McCusker's. It's minutes from the sports stadiums in Philly, making it a great place to stop by for a few drinks before or after a concert or a game. Come see for yourself why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy has called it one of the best dive bars in the city. Visit them at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia or on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is thrilled to be sponsored by Boldfoot Socks. Boldfoot Socks is a veteran-owned business to make socks for every occasion. Their motto is grown here, sewn here, because every pair is 100% made in America. I like that. They also give 5% of their proceeds to veteran charities. I like that. And their owner is a huge music fan and a listener of our show. I like that. That's three I like that's about one company. And if that's not enough, head over to boldfoot.com and check out all the different styles that they have. That's boldfoot.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back from the commercial break. Thanks so much for sticking with us. So we're up to like the mid 90s and we're ready to kind of talk about the maybe the last last third of the Beastie Boys career. You know what, too, man, this is another uh, probably worth mentioning. This is right around the time where they start becoming real socially active, like the uh, the Tibetan Freedom Concert. Sure. All that stuff starts. That was like the biggest. They said that was the biggest charity concert since like Live Aid. So it's like wow. uh, I didn't know it was that big. So you're going on like it's like a 10 year gap right between oh, live yeah. it was like 84. I heard that was the show to see the Tibetan Freedom concert was the show to see. Yeah, that's what I heard. I mean, it was the show of the 90s. Yeah, I read that, too. I had some I put that. some notes together on like all that kind of stuff and how big that was. And yeah, um, they really started raising I used to like the mid 90s too, like Buddhism and all that kind of stuff became a thing. Yeah, um, like free Tibet. Yeah, but that Adam. But Adam was like legit. Like he he went there and he converted oh, he like and monk. all that. He was a monk in his own right, Buddhist monk. Yeah, and they, they started. They raised a ton of money from. You know, and t- I watched something today. They said in like 2000 they were supposed to go on tour with Rage Against the Machine, and they had announced the tour and they were going to give money to charity and the Beastie Boys money was all going to go toward uh, some like the Tibetan fund and all kinds of other shit. And the tour wound up falling apart and it never happened. But I was like, man, that would have been, that would have been awesome. The two of those bands uh, together. Yeah. That would have been great. That would have been also, better. That would have been better than Wu-Tang and Rage Against Machine. Uh, that was, would, that was a tour. I would have loved to have seen Wu-Tang, but they were just in Philly. They were in Philly. Not too like long very ago. recently, a couple, couple yeah. of months ago. Yeah. yeah. Once, but once, it, once older bastard died, I, you know, you jumped off the bandwagon. Yeah, I did. Shimmy, shimmy, ya, shimmy, ya, shimmy. No. <laughs> but, um, yeah. They were supposed to go on tour, man. And they said like Busta was supposed to go out with them and Stone Temple Pilots and no doubt. And oh my God. It was also right when uh, Rage Against the Machine was like falling apart. And mm-hmm. I think like they canceled the show. And then a couple months later, Zach De La Roca bailed on, on Rage, but whatever. That would have been, that just would have been an awesome 
band an, an yeah. awesome tour to see those guys together but um I'm, I'm jumping way ahead man so i guess we were talking about like 94 and then a couple years later 98 man that's when hello nasty came out man and we were working in the music store at this time and i but we played this fucking album it was like oh, all, yeah. the, all the time it had a it had a great vibe to it it was a different it was it was a beastie boy album but it was a different kind of beastie boy album they had dj magic mike on this record and he's fucking phenom- phenomenal dj man he he puts a like a wah-wah pedal hooked up to his dj equipment he make he bends the fucking notes like from scratch and shit it was totally different man yeah man i and i hated that song intergalactic because we played it all the time it was so like, we're gonna play yeah, it right now we are gonna play it in hindsight now i love it but it, here you go it's kick-ass beginning i love it here you go You know, I mean, leading up to as we do all the research for the show, ten, I tend to be the day of I'm like kind of cramming. I'm trying to find like some other interesting shit that I can put into the show. Uh-huh. And today, all I did is I just went on YouTube while I was sitting at my desk and I just watched a bunch of their videos. Oh, it's hysterical. and I this one is great, too. Did you see um, another video they made? I think it was for that same album. It was like uh, they, they get on the red carpet and they're like, oh, the Beastie Boys, what do you guys? Been? And they were like all decked out. Beastie Boys, what have you been up to? Oh, we've been living with Sansquash. Yeah. You know, I don't know what that was for, but they they made this whole video with Bigfoot. That's the thing. Like they, they became serious musicians, but they never lost their humor. Yeah, they're not like uh, they're, they're not being assholes about it anymore no, like they're not they're, being they're not really being like the bugs bunny blowing shit up in your face yeah they're, they're being, kind of being silly but but they're they're like saying the right thing mm-hmm. like they're they're being witty they're not being yes. smart yeah, yeah, they're yeah. being witty right they're, i, I they're think being, that's a, i think that's a big part of them like they're not sarcastic they're not really they don't really you know rhyme sarcastically you know like a lot of rappers will like sarcastically like say a lot of shit but they're like saying more like facts. Yeah, like the the dickheadness of the early yeah. 80s that they had in their music is not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This song, as I've gotten older, I think even if I've gotten older, I've just I appreciate hip hop more. Sure. 20, 22 year old me that had to hear this every single day after working 40 I loved hours. It. Yeah. Working 40 hours a week. I I had heard enough. I loved um, it. I just got tired of it. But you know, it, it was like anything. I yeah, there was a million songs that were out that we listened to all the time in the music store that I hated because I we heard it all the time and now I enjoy it. So, hey, there's nothing like that beginning, man. Yeah, I, wanted, was, I was thinking that, was, that maybe that should have been our beginning of the show. I thought that I thought that earlier in the week, but I, you know, I always defer to your expertise with all that kind of stuff. So but, like I hear that song and I think of the time that I saw them. Now, I have a good friend that works for the electricians board at the Wells Fargo Center and okay. Beastie Boys played there and they said the Beastie Boys backstage set up a basketball hoop 
And what they did 30 minutes before they went on is play fucking rough house, like rough house. They're like playing like just between the three of them. They come out on the stage and they all got basketballs in their hand. And they're they, they're just like fucking throwing them at, at each other. Like they were so aggressive. Like hmm. I would I would look at uh MCA and I would look at um Mike D and like the way that they fucking went back and forth to each other. Like the 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 the, the how could it, the passion that they how they went off of each other. I can't imagine somebody else coming in as a third, a new guy to 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 flow with that they had such a chemistry together oh yeah like you said when when he died there was no there's no replacement there's no carrying on as a twosome it's you can't do it um yeah absolutely not and that came up a lot lot in the that documentary that they did they talked so much about them like we're we're three friends we're three friends who did this we're three friends who did that they never were like we're a band who we like each other like you I, know, and, I think what's made them so original was that they were best friends. You know, they they know how to play off each other like best friends do. I, I never got the sense that it was like uh that that was bullshit either. Like I thought that was it felt legit, right? It's like and you know, and music is filled with people that they work with each other because and they can't stand each other, right? The guys from ZZ Top all had their own separate boss, or you know, Mick and Keith and and Steven Tyler and the other guys in Aerosmith, you know, this music, the story of music is just filled with people that, you know, Zeppelin and Floyd and guys that broke up because they can't fucking stand each other anymore. And then you get these three people that they, you know, ride or die till the very, very end. They still just keep talking about like, Hey man, we were best friends since we were like 15 years old. It's kind of, it's pretty unique actually in the, but, in the yeah. story. But I, I think that's what makes their music unique is, is the bond. Like, like I said, the, the universe opens up and people find each other, you know? And I think these guys were all misfits and they all fucking found each other. And I, I don't think they ever stopped being the misfits, maybe different versions of them. But even as adults, they were pushing the envelope with like, a, with, with their comedy in their videos. Like, I don't know. They, they, they just pushed. I don't know. Like they had a lot of help from Spike Jones. Uh, I get, I totally get what you're saying, man. My, my wife has a saying that there are no coincidences. And even at the, the end of the documentary, I was at some point I was zooming in and I'm watching. And uh, I think it was Mike D he's got a, he's got a wedding ring on his hand. And I was kind of like, I was just laughing because you know, they got gray hair by that point. You know, they're, they're a couple years older than us. They're in their fifties. And you're like, yeah, you know, and they're still at the top of their game, even though they're broken up, but they're still like, you know, revered musically and they're it's just I, I just found that funny. Like, oh the guy's married. The, these are the guys that were throwing beer cans at each other and all that. It's like uh I don't know, man. It's like a the movie old school or you know, someone yeah. I will cut all this shit out, but it's no, I saw something that the Beastie Boy can't put out and it, I forget what song it was, but it was one of the earlier songs. And they had actors play them like young versions of them. Like they were coming out of the, the fight for your right to party. Like they're crawling out the door and this is what happens after the party. But there's three actors playing beastie boys. Okay. And I think that's how they keep it alive. Like they, they could do all the wacky shit, like cliche stuff with, 
you know, the real Beastie Boys rap into the background and guys, funny get guys, you know, go along with it. It's really interesting, man, just their whole story and how they remained friends and they stuck together and all this other kind of shit. But uh, yeah, so the whole little nasty album, it took them three years to record it. So this is a, you know, they had like two, three, four years in between albums, too. They weren't just like banging shit out all the time. And you know, this album, it won it won the Grammy for best alternative and best rap performance, which I thought was really cool because they, you know, like, what are they? Like you said, they don't, uh, depending on the record store, they're not in the rap section. Maybe they're not in the rap section because they're white. I don't, you know, they're very well. I, mean, been I the, don't know. There's they no could have been the fucking case. Hey, man, but. there's no fucking sections at all anymore, man. Right. Well, now record it's all, this is all, right. There's no record stores either. And that's a fucking bummer, bro. It is totally a, a bummer. But it's like, you know, like uh, like the Clash where they straddled like rock and reggae and the Beastie Boys straddle rock and rap. And there's all kinds of other. I don't know, man, if they made a, a record store now, if they ever came back or if we went to an independent, I don't know what I don't know what section they would be in. Next time I think I'm it in should the, just be one whole section. Everything. I I kind of agree at this point, man. Music kind of comes together and it's all this kind of music. I don't know. I, I know the small independent printed record exchange up by me has sections. Maybe the next time I'm over there, I'll look and see where the beastie boys are, but they definitely define categorization. And then I guess, you know, so hello, nasty came out in 98 and then you, you jump way ahead, like 2009, they're getting ready to go back out on the road and they had to cancel a bunch of dates and they go like, cause Adam Yowick's got a tumor. And uh, what kind of tumor did he have? Do you know? It was like a salivary gland. And uh, like a lymph node, and like in his throat. Is that what it is? I, I think so. Yeah. I wonder it's, if it's, that's why making his voice sound so graspy, like it did. Maybe. Oh, years um, and years and years of him fucking being like a, the the aggressiveness that he used in his in his vocals. Yeah, it could have been. It's a shame too. Like they get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2011, and the day that they get inducted, Adam went into the hospital, so they didn't yeah. perform. And then uh, he he passed away in May of 2012. That was a big loss to the music scene, man. Like even Madonna came out and said, you know, how sorry she was that, you know, and he, he touched a lot of people's like famous people. He touched, he got them involved in uh, all kinds of charity things. And he was bigger than just that band. He was like his mind was bigger than the Beastie Boys. His, he wanted to change the world, and and for what he did, you know, besides being a funny guy on stage and everything like that, he really believed in in his his faith, and I think that made him a better person. I think he's definitely my favorite Beastie Boy. I just think that's what he did. Like they just pushed the envelope in so many different directions. He did a lot of the photography and the shit. He was really getting into audio engineering. Something uh, one of the interviews said, like, oh, man, he was really into like using, uh, you know, like loops of sounds or like Jimi Hendrix used this. And they're like, how the fuck did he know that there was no YouTube? Yeah. You know, like, where, where did he learn that from? You just picked it up. Man. I I think they're prodigies of New York City. They grew up in New York City, a perfect time of uh, there's the art, the punk rock era of it. They grew up in the middle of all that. You know, the the grittiness of 70s New York, you know, the one that we talk about, like, that's what they grew up in, the rubble of New York. You know, like, you have to admire the people that they became from what they came from. 
CBGBs on one hand and then Def Jam Records on the other. And they like they did both, right? Yeah. And they were kind of coming up. It's really crazy. Def Jam. That makes me laugh about Russell Simmons, man. He, uh, you, it, he, he used them, man. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And hey, let's give him shit bag of the week. Yeah, I think he is shit bag of the week. Here you go. Shit bag of the week. Dun, dun, dun. Never gets old. Never gets old. We had to give it to somebody. Had to I need to. Me. I should be writing down who was the shit bag. I think the first couple episodes we did, I wrote down who the shit bag was, and I, you know, we're so far in now, I don't remember all of them anymore. But but it's a great thing we do on the show, and people like it. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> give him, and give him give him his attention. So yes. Uh, um. You know what we didn't talk about too, man. Some of the uh, the you put it on here the kind of the jazz album, the instrumental. Oh, album that, that album. Did. Oh, yeah, yeah. The in yeah, sound put, from the I way put, out. What a great album that was! But it was just like the instrumental parts from those records because all the like you know, uh, check your head and yeah, uh, you know, um, they have instrumental parts, but they just added all the all the parts on the one album. I put one song on there. It's called Pal. Yeah, man. I remember we were working in the music store when this came out. And yeah. I remember it was like it was tagged to go in like the jazz section. And we're like, what is this like? We only got mistake? like we only got like three copies of it. Yeah. We sure. opened one and we put it in and we're like, what is like, what is this? And I just thought it was so cool because I don't remember a band going that far off of what they were. Right. Like, I want to do an instrumental and we're the Beastie Boys. I haven't listened to this album in 20 years, but I really, really enjoyed it when it came out. Here's a little. Yeah, bit I love it. musicians you know the the jam goes on and uh i believe it's mike d on the drums and he just kicks it kicks it that i don't that's definitely not an album for casual beastie boys fans and i I don't say that to sound like a pretentious asshole it's like no i think i think if you just if you don't know them you're not really into their catalog you really it's like oh man they did a an instrumental album where they're just all just kind of jamming out really cool yeah no that's that's it was, it's a cult classic that one sure. nobody nobody knows about that record totally something too that if they weren't the beastie boys they'd never be able to put it out right they can no. be able to be like you know we're gonna do this and that, you know, if they were some some other band in nudniks they'd be like no you're not doing shit so and what else did they did they made another hardcore album yeah dude. That. you know like you know you have intergalactic and all that shit going on and you're you're big and then you do a hardcore album the Aglio e Olio yeah. album, right? I'm thinking of you have a nervous assistant on here. I'll play a yeah. little bit of that. So, yeah, here's how, how different this is compared to the, what we just played. Check this out. All good.
That was the whole song. I just let you it play. It was, four, it was 40 seconds. You got to be, be a Beastie Boy fan to appreciate that shit. You know, like they were so, they had so much potential to be the biggest band in the world. And you're like, no, we're not going to be that. We're going to be what we want to be. Like they were a household name when Sabotage came out, and, but they didn't like sell out, you know, like they sold out in the beginning and they were like for the rest of their career, they were trying to prove that they didn't sell out anymore. I, I kind of felt like uh, this just kind of popped in my head. Like when it comes to movies, I always thought that every couple of years, Daniel Day-Lewis just kind of comes down and reminds everybody like, this is how you fucking do it. Yeah. And then it just kind of like, you know, like I'm on a completely different level. And it seemed like every couple of years, the Beastie Boys just kind of step yeah. back on the stage and were like, hey, everybody, this is how you just, this is what you do. And then it just kind of went on their way and came back a couple of years later, right? It was like between the videos and the sound and, you know, nothing ever sounds like uh, they're always ahead of the game. They're always at the front edge of what is, what sounds hip and different. And, you know, and they fucking did it for like 40 years. But, you know, people are going to write in on this and shit and whatever. But, like, I was really comparing the Beastie Boys to the Beatles earlier this week. Like, you know, when the Beatles first came out, they were a joke to everybody. Like, they were just mop top guys that switched their hair and everybody just thought they were funny, like Hard Day's Night. It was just a spoof of what their life was. I thought like the Beastie Boys was like that at first. Like they were just a product to be made for pop music. And just like the Beatles, they got sick of being this cliche and they moved on and start creating music, not necessarily changed the world like the Beatles did, but they evolved in as musicians. Like the Beatles albums got better as they went on. They became better musicians as they, as they became older. Maybe some albums are better than people will say the white album is better than Abbey Road. You know, people will say Rubber Soul better than everything. And everybody thinks that uh, Sgt. Pepper sucks. <laughs> you know, it's- I see it, man. I, I could see the License to Ill was kind of like the red album and everything else after it is like the blue album, right? Those Beatles, uh, those compilations, right? You can draw a line in the Beatles uh, discography between like their early like bubblegum kind of shit and then the really technically crazy advanced stuff that they did. Yeah. That's where I'm trying to come from. Not saying yeah, I, I feel you. I think, I feel like they're like generations X closest thing in experimental with the Beatles were. I get it. I know, dude, I totally understand what you're saying. I, I get it. You know, it's all, it's all relative and it's all applied to different generations and it's a different genre of music, but I, I get it. Like, look at their sound. They put out, like, don't you think like Beck bit off them a little bit? In the beginning oh dude absolutely the dust brothers produced that odalay album too yeah yeah totally i totally get it I, there was, yeah I'm there was a, a lot of fan but there was a lot of like alternative albums that sound like those records and i'm not even talking about rap rock records beck also had yeah as you just said that i'm thinking like beck had that he's trying to be funny but he's like the i don't know man that nerdy like loser you know, or, you yeah. know, I don't know. I, I don't like Beck. I don't like that album, but that's just, you know, as a topic for another time, maybe, maybe he's going in the electric chair today. I don't know. Hey, why not? Yeah. But I, I see that I can definitely connect the dots between the two of them. I get it. But, yeah. I just, it was something I've been thinking all week about. 
I mean, nothing beats Beatlemania, bro. Of course. Yeah, sure. Nothing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they progressed into a different band like the Beatles did. Sure. And yeah, in hindsight, I mean, it's it almost sounds like a parody. Like three Jewish kids from New York decided, three Jewish white kids from New York decided to become hip hop people, right? It's like that's like a bad joke, but it happened, and it was one of the first things to be shared in America with hip hop. Right? They were so goofy as shit. Do you ever see them on American Bandstand? Oh my god, yes. And they in hind- like, they tr- talked about that too. Like in hindsight, like what assholes we were. Like here's your mic back, dick to dick yeah. clark they like got right up in dick's face like you should check our album out like yeah. they were punks man they were literally were punks yeah i don't know man like if that was if those were black kids doing that the reaction of the media would be completely different and we kind of yeah. we didn't we didn't get into too much like when they went over to england like the english press were like they spit on disabled children Get you know like this, out of here yeah they went like they were on the the front page of every newspaper it was like they were after going through the sex pistols the, the british news was ready but um yeah yeah man i i think if if some of the shit that they did if it were black people and hip-hop artists the media would react completely differently but, but do you do you think putting something out like the beastie boys was racist at the time no i i don't like I said at the beginning, I don't. You never hear that, like, oh, well, they're white dudes and they don't deserve to be at the top of hip hop music. Like yeah. at some point, it was like, no, man, it was just like about the music. Yeah, it was all about the music. And when you had the guys matter. like, when you had like Run DMC talking, you know, so gushing about them and Q Tip and all these other people that came before them, I, I don't know, man. I don't. I try not to get all tied up in all that kind of shit. And uh, you know, I, I don't know. When I saw. The Beastie Boys uh, tribe fucking opened for them. Man, how, what an awesome group they are alive. Tribe they is ever, awesome. If they ever came around like as a, like a, a group, do we have to go fucking see them? Yeah, I think they're done after uh, what's his face. They're way away. better than the Roots. Yeah, I like the Roots too. I I love, but I love Tribe. I they should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know they were nominated last year. That yeah, one I, record. That one record is unbelievable. Their last one, dude, was was great. The last one they came out with was uh, yeah, was, was really good. really good. Q Tips um, the man, dude. He's on a, one of the Beastie Boys songs. Yeah, he is. And it's, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show with like with Eminem getting in and people saying, "Well, there's so many African American hip hop artists that deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." It's like that that horse has left the barn. Hip hop is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Fucking put him in, man. Put Africa Bill yeah. in there and, and put the Why Wu-Tang not? in and, you know, like it's let's already go. open. Let's fucking put some real artist in there. Right. Right. Legit, Jay-Z. legit shit. Instead Jay-Z. of Dion right. Warwick fucking shit. Right. Right. Tupac and Biggie deserve to be in there. Jay-Z deserves to be in there. Put, put tribe in and some of those other earlier artists like let sure, man, let's do it. Like at some point the, uh, when the Rock and Hall of Fame kind of like they made it right and they put all those like sidekick, they put like the comets and the crickets and all this, the moon yeah. glows. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you need to do that. Be like, hey, man, we're going to catch up with, with hip hop. We're going to put a whole bunch of artists. Should. Like, just, just do it. They need to do it with metal and hip hop. They should have just yeah. one year yeah. of have like metal that's been like overshined all these years and yeah. the hip hop, hip hop thing. Yeah. That would be great rock and roll hall of fame be better yep. than anything they've done in the last fucking 10 years. Yep. Yep. I, when we did that episode on the, uh, 
the artists who have been snubbed, I like, I had so many conversations in my house. I was like, oh man, I should put the Wu Tang on my list of people that deserve to be into it. And it was like, you oh, know, I just, God. I was like, I, I ultimately didn't put them on my list because there were so many other artists who I think deserve to be included. But you think the Hall of Fame is trying to be prestige? Like, oh, we can't let old DB in the fucking Hall of Fame. Maybe. Like, I don't know. I can you imagine? Be, can you imagine if they got in rock and roll fame? There's like 30 of them up on <laughs> stage. All the uh, the third tier, like you, God, and all those other people. I don't know. That should be on that. That's on the potential topic list sometime. Of a whole thing on the Wu Tang Clan. I think they're the most brilliantly marketed hip hop <laughs> act of all time. Like how they all kind of. It's almost like the like the Avengers follow the exact same model. Like they all have their own separate movies, and they all come together for a big thing. And like the. I think the Wu Tang Clan started that. Yeah, but that's you know. I wish I was in college. I wish I was in college. I could write uh, well, why Stanley, uh, Stanley is down with the Wu Tang Clan or some shit like that. But <laughs> anyway, I'll get close. I'll get my daughter to write something. I was like, tell I'll write it for her and tell her to submit it to one of her professors. Uh, you got some more Beastie Boys you want to talk about, or do you want to? Let's play another song, bro. Yeah, man. Uh, here, I'll play a little bit of Root Down off of Ill Communications. I love Bad Rock, man. Yeah. He's, I think he's my favorite. It's like, who's your favorite Beatle? Well, who's your favorite Everyone's Beastie got boy? your favorite Beastie Boy. Yeah. I mean, he, when I saw fucking Ad Rock on stage, the look on his fucking face when he was singing Sabotage, mm-hmm. like I was that close. I could see the look on his fucking face and it was just a natural, raw fucking look in his face. Like it wasn't like pretending like maybe what the guys from the killers do every single night. Like he was out there screaming his fucking head off, you know, like a yeah. real artist. Yeah. Uh, you know what song we didn't play either off the license. We didn't play or talk about no sleep till Brooklyn. What a great song. And that's uh, you know, the, the big heavy guitar. That's, you know, that's Carrie King from Slayer playing that song, which is just awesome. Uh, they, w- anything with Slayer is awesome. Yeah. Here you I, go. I think, yeah. somewhere like the video they wanted Carrie King to be in it and the Beastie Boys were like no because they wanted Carrie King to be like 30 feet high like around the uh, the Beastie Boys and they were like no we're not doing that <laughs> Carrie is king yes they're probably scared shitless of him yeah I'm he, sure he don't fuck around dude I've been around them he is not a fuck around kind of guy I know you told that story doing a shoddy Jägermeister with him backstage oh dude and he flipped out on somebody oh. it was fucking great He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not this way. 
I'm like, this is exactly what I thought you were going to be right. like. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. King. Please don't kill me. Please don't sacrifice me on stage. <laughs> uh, all right. What yeah, else? Yeah, man. The Beastie Boys. Yeah, man. This was fun. I, I say that every episode. This is no, fun, but, but you know, I learned a lot. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of stuff that I knew about. A lot of great songs, a lot of great memories. I'm just hoping maybe it was entertaining to everybody else that was entertaining to us, you know? Yeah, man. We're always here to educate and entertain. I got some second thoughts. So second thoughts, we got, dude, we got so much feedback on our Led Zeppelin episode. We did better that the listener numbers in that episode were better than like any episode we've ever done. That's awesome. A lot of people listened to it and we had a dude, Steve Jimbo on Twitter just said, great topic. What about bands like Greta Van Fleet who ripped off Led Zeppelin? I, do you like Greta Van Fleet? I don't no think do. fucking way do I. I like don't think them. you do. They fucking um, suck. I, I don't. That's the electric like chair tonight. That's the electric really? chair tonight. I, I like them. I don't You're mind them. Fucking so. stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our buddy Lance over at yesterday's concert, uh, the yesterday's concert podcast. He just did his episode this week was on seeing uh, Greta Van Fleet live. It was um, it was very. Uh, coincidental that he was talking about them i i don't know man i think they kind of they're playing a character uh you think they're saving rock and roll i don't know if they're saving rock and roll but i think they are very heavily influenced by 70s music and they're just trying to do their thing i don't think they rip off led zeppelin in that they they're not taking credit for somebody else's songs like led zeppelin does i think they sure as shit are taking they're borrowing from like the sound and the vibe of that whole that era that late 70s shit but yeah i just don't like them i don't like okay. there's not one thing i like about them okay they're not i i think they're a one-hit wonder they're come and go and everybody's gonna remember like oh they sound like fucking zeppelin i i think they won't outshine that that reputation of sounding like zeppelin i think they they have what it takes to put a one good album out i don't think they have what it takes to put two fucking good albums out bro could be I, th- I, think, I mean, they're definitely, I think that's the shtick. I think if, if somebody says their name, it's like, oh, that's the band. It sounds like Led Zeppelin. I think that's kind of like yeah. tied to them now, but. And they're um, douchey. They're real douchey on TV and shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate on them as much as you do, but that's okay. Fuck you, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> you put me in the electric chair. Some music news. I got, I got some, I got a lot of hip hop news today. So the first one was uh, the Coolio died. Yeah, the uh, 90s rap star Coolio died suddenly at age 59. Said he had a bunch of like some health problems. He had like severe asthma and shit like that. He was at a friend's house or something, went in to use the lavatory and just never came out. Um, really just a shame. Man, that that song, Gangster's Paradise, was that was the number one song in the entire country in like 95. Wow. And he had a he had a handful of other, you know, one, two, three, four, fantastic voyage. He had Riding a with the hits. homies. Riding yeah. with the homies. And he put out a cookbook that I actually own. Which is really hella, yeah. He had, he had a uh, he was Coolio like a he, cooking. It's called cooking with Coolio. No, nice. yeah, I remember he's like take some chicken and fry that bitch up or something like that. I <laughs> bought it. I bought it one night. I, I've never made anything from it, but it's sitting on my bookshelf. I bought it one night. My wife and I. I don't remember the hell we found out. We heard about it. I'm like oh, I got. I need to have this. He was on a couple of cooking shows and shit like that. But anyway, I like him. Uh, I guess I did too. You know, he kinda, was definitely part of our. Not childhood, but yeah, like nine, growing up. 90, 90s culture and stuff yeah. like that. Speaking that, of movie, 90s, that movie sucked. Dangerous Minds. Oh, yeah. That's what that yeah. Dexter's Paradise was for. Yeah, oh, yeah. Michelle, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer going to go, pretty Michelle Pfeiffer going into a black school and teaching them about 
Rambo. Yeah. Fucking, no, I don't think so. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm not, not the biggest fan of that. Speaking of 90s culture, uh, here, Snoop Dogg said that him and Dr. Dre have been working on a new album that is going to be ready to go in November. The album is called Missionary, which is a follow up to Doggy Style by Snoop wow. Dogg. So, yeah, Dr. Dre, there's been like talk about him coming out with another album for like 15 years. He's like and, Axl Rose. Right, uh, right, that, right. And him coming, him working with Snoop Dogg again. Snoop Dogg was on a uh, a podcast and he mentioned it. He wasn't on our podcast and he should be. Come but, on, Snoop. Come on. Our, we'll, yeah. we'll treat you great. Right. What are you fucking waiting for, man? We'll let you pick the electric chair. <laughs> and then the last one, uh, music news I had was that Apple Music announced that they now have 100 million songs on their service. So they said that artists put, they add 20,000 new songs a day to Apple Music. So Jesus. when... Apple released iTunes and the iPod 20 years ago. The whole marketing slogan was you could walk around with a thousand songs in your pocket. Now that's a hundred thousand times more that you can walk around in your pocket. Just like how much like music technology has changed is just mind blowing. In just 20 years, man, 20 years, is not a long time. Right. Right. I'm, uh, it's not that long ago. I remember having the big ass uh, binder in my my car with all of the CDs yeah. in it. And you're flipping all the shit. I had the hundred CD changer in my apartment. Everybody yeah, just, had that like that boom box CD player to take the speakers off of it. And yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And now it's you can on your phone, you can subscribe to Apple Music and have a hundred million songs. Just crazy. Unreal. The, the future is now, my friend. Yes, it is. And despite there being a hundred million songs and a zillion podcasts, people still spend the time listening to us, which is just amazing. Love it. Thank you for listening. We have Thank listeners you. all over the world. And we do have listeners from all over the world. And we didn't talk about that in second thought. So we were really diving into like our numbers. And you know, we love looking at how many people listen to us and where are they and everything and what time of day do they listen to? What platform are they on? And we started looking at like what other countries do people listen to us? And only about like three quarters of the people that listen to us are actually in the United States, which is just like, dude, that's so awesome. Yes. And we we're able to dive in and figure out what are like the 10 country, the top 10 countries where people listen to us, which is really cool, man. So it's like we got people in like Australia, Singapore, the UK, Canada, France, China, Spain. Portugal, Mexico, really, really cool, man. That there's uh, people elsewhere around the world that are that want to hear us, that want to listen to us. It just, uh, it's just really, really, and of course, you know, India. Of course, we have Omar, Omar, and his monkey, Mick. Omar in India. So, you know, it was uh, those of you if you're new to the show, it was man, it was probably like a year and a half ago. We found that we had some listeners in India, and we just said, hey, you know, if you're we see that we have some listeners in India. We'd love to hear from you. And this guy, Omar, wrote in and he was like, I'm I'm one of your listeners. I'm a big fan. I work. Uh, he works for like a cell phone yeah, company or I'm something. I'm not sure and, what he does. Yeah. And he was like a big he was a really big music fan. And he said he has a long time dream to like come to America and all this kind of other stuff. He wrote us in a couple of times. I, you know, I know he follows us on social media. Yeah. Um, we haven't heard from him in a while. I don't know if he's still planning on coming to America. But anyway, we do have listeners in a bunch of different countries and that just blows our mind and we yeah, love it so much it's unreal and, please write in to us and tell us what you think oh uh, we would love it dude if even if you live in america you want to write us in yeah anybody, us I, and say I just something. think it's wild that we're just not talking to ourselves people are listening 
Yeah, man. I we say that every time we look, we update our numbers. Like the fact that people listen to us and enjoy listening to us is just really, really cool. And we love hearing from people. So yeah, man, why don't we just we'll move on to the electric chair? Yeah. You got something? Let's put Greta Van Fleet in the electric <laughs> chair. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll show you why they suck. Play them. Okay. All right. So all right. It's a democracy. So the electric chair is a segment we do every episode where we kill a song because it sucks. And this week, Ryan has decided we're going to kill a song from Greta Van Fleet. So their most uh, popular, I don't know what their most popular song is. Highway tune has 166.7 million songs. So I'll play that. And, uh, Oh yeah. The song sucks. Oh my God. Second. So cliche. I fucking hate them. I don't. I don't hate on them. I'm like, yeah. They, I was saying this to Lance on the yesterday's concert uh, podcast. I'm like, yeah, they sound like Zeppelin. I'm like, so what? I no, I don't care that they sound like Zeppelin. I care that they sound like shit. Okay, I, they make I, you know. I like it, but that's all right. All right. Hey, they can't all be Kate Bush songs, bro. Uh, here we go. We sentence you to death. I just hate them, dude. I'm sorry. You like them. I'm not giving them a chance. I'm sorry. I heard Fair that enough. one song. I heard that one song by them. Maybe that's every song sounds the same. I don't know. I've never like I've never sat down and listened to their whole album. I've just, you know, what I've heard of been like, all right, man, you know, that's they cool. Put, that's they all. put some ballad out also. And it was just so lame. They're just doing is this what rock and roll is now? It very well could be, man. I don't like it. <laughs> uh get off my lawn. Get off my lawn, kids. All right. So that is a wrap on episode 49. We only play 30 second clips of a bunch of Beastie Boy songs today. But if you want to hear the full versions, there's an episode playlist. We put a link to it in our show notes. You can also check out the show notes for links to our Facebook and our Twitter accounts, our website at prisonersofrockandroll.com, and our email at show at prisonersofrockandroll. We love hearing from our listeners. Like we just said, we read as many comments as we can on the air. If you're out there listening, you have an opinion, whether you think that Greta Van Fleet stinks or you like the Beastie Boys, we'd love to hear from you. Even if you just reach in and be like, hey, I live here and I listen to you and cool. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. It makes our day. It really makes it all worthwhile. So that's it. We'll circle up. We'll figure out what we're going to talk about next. And our we'll 50th be back episode. in Oh, yeah. Next is our 50th episode. You're right. And I think we're going to do a little recap of where we've been uh, since we're two years in, man. I not a lot of podcasts make it to two years. I think right, maybe the fact that we do it every two weeks uh, keeps us sane and, and gives us some time and doesn't, you know, we don't burn out and it's all good. So, all right, everybody, thanks so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks. Keep all rocking. Peace out. I'm just a prisoner.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 